Lord, all the gifts come from you. You are uh, the, you have it all. You have it all in your hand. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word uh, this morning. I pray that the, the live stream would, would hold up and would not drop at any point. And I pray that, Lord, your word would um, teach us how to parent our own hearts by showing us what our Father in heaven desires for us. And Lord, for those of us who are parents, whether of young or older children, Lord, if they're still under in some ways our authority, I pray that you would teach us to grow and change. Lord, and become parents whose every way, as best as we can, pleases you. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. So the theme is Parenting Against Temptation. The last page of the PDF has a worksheet that you can follow along with, take some notes with. Uh, we'll refer a little bit to that during the call, the Zoom call at the end of this. Um, so that could be a place where you might write down things that struck you, or if there's a, a word or a verse or a phrase that catches your attention, you could just circle it so that you're kind of ready to participate then. But every day you face temptation, Every day your children face temptation. The Bible says, I want you to, God says, I want you to resist temptation. I want you to flee from temptation. But in this passage, the Lord teaches us how to parent against temptation. It's a slightly different um, approach. And there's a lot to learn here. And, and there's essentially two parts. One is what I'll call it exposing false offers. So false offers are fake offers. Exposing the false offers of temptation is job number one. But then job number two is counter-offering with the beauties of the gospel. And so we're going to see how the father in Proverbs talks to his son and exposes the false offers and then counter-offers with the gospel. So let's begin by reading. Verse 8 and 9, I'll say a few words, then we'll go to 10, and then we'll really get into it. So, verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So, just to pause here for a second, they're saying that the wisdom is a beautiful crown, a graceful garland around your head. It's a lovely necklace around your neck. You know, sometimes, you ever criticize your kid's clothing? Are you ever like, man, you're wearing that? You can't go to school in that. I won't name it, but one of our children likes to dress periodically very monotone colors. Sometimes they get a hard time from one of their parents. Um, you might say to your kids, those pinks don't match. There's holes in those jeans. You can't, those short, you know, that shirt's too small. You outgrew it last summer. Um, we, we care what our kids wear, but the Bible cares more that they wear wisdom. The Bible, God says, and, and this is not just for kids, this is for you. The Bible says, I want to clothe you with a graceful garland, a crown of victory on your head, and a beautiful pendant, a necklace around you. Everyone who receives the wisdom of God is clothed with these things, and every parent who passes them on is dressing their child in the best way possible. And it's, if it's a two-parent home, Lord willing, both parents are doing it. Did you notice that? Verse 8. Hear your father's instruction 
and forsake not your mother's teaching. It's not just mom's job. It's not just dad's job. If there's two parents in the home, both of you should be passing on the wisdom. And in this passage, it's going to be about what to do when we're tempted. Verse 10 says it all. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So hear this for yourself first. The Bible is saying, look, if sin comes and lures you in and desires to entice you, to persuade you, do not consent. Do not go with it. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with vigilance. Keep your heart with vigilance. Why? For from it flows springs of life. So we have to guard our hearts. How do we keep and guard our hearts? Well, we limit what comes in. We confess our sins to other people and to the Lord. And we trust that God's word is true. That's it in a nutshell. How to keep your hearts with vigilance. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The father starts here because the greatest failures that we face in life and that our children face begin right here with the temptation to sin. But telling people do not sin, it's not enough, is it? It's right. You know it's not enough. I know it's not enough. And so does the father in Proverbs. So let's see how he exposes the false offers of temptation and then counter offers with the beauty of the gospel. And I want you to do this first in your own heart. Preach it to yourself. Verse 11. This is the father talking to the son. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, and Sheol is the Hebrew word that means grave. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men, they lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. As I shared with the kids, here's how the false offer works. Do this. Get this. And we won't get caught. This son in this passage is probably, you know, 15 to 20 years old. It is not a cookie he's being offered, is it? That's a time in our life when our emotions run high, our passions run high. We want friendships. We want to be included. We want people to go with us. We, our sexual desires waking up. And so the, we're at a, the emotions are high, but the wisdom is real low. And I'm not saying that to pick on you guys. It's just a matter of fact. You just haven't lived life as long. And so you're more prone to some of these gross temptations. Now look how gross this thing is, right? The friends are saying, come with us. What are they going to do? Verse 11, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let's swallow them alive. You can picture the diabolical laughter. Right? 
But this is really true. This is a pressing temptation in some communities and parts of the world. Young kids are being pulled in and saying, let's kill them. Let's destroy them. Why? Why would you ever do such a thing? Because we're going to get rich. We're going to make fast money. Look at verse 13. Right? Do this. Participate in murder. What do we get? We'll find all precious goods. We're going to fill our houses with plunder. We're all going to have one purse. How many young kids have been pulled into schemes for fast money, leading them into violence in ways that ruin their lives? A lot of kids, right? This isn't just a wow. In the suburbs, this can feel like, this feels so far away. This is not that far away at all. The things we do to get ahead, to take shortcuts, are often not as obvious as this, but they're just as evil, right? And the unspoken lie is this, we're not going to get caught. We're not going to get caught. Come with us. That's verse 11. Come, come on, son. Leave your family. Leave your teaching. Leave Jesus and come with us. This is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to get. No one's going to catch us. Verse 10 says, right, if sinners, it doesn't say force you, entice you. If they lure you in, if they convince you, if they persuade you, don't go with them. So let's get personal, right? There are sins that entice you more than others. What are the false offers? Do this. You know it to be wicked or wrong or just selfish. Do this, do this, do this. What's the offer? Get this. Get this. There are things you want more than others. That's where you're weakest. And you won't get caught. No one will know. Really? I left a little line there in your worksheet for you to write that with. This is called parenting your own heart. Where am I weak? What do I want? When do I sin to get it? And that's called turning to the Father and asking for help. I want to make um, one obvious, really practical point here. This might qualify as a bit of a rant, but that's okay. Sometimes you need to rant. And that's this. Many, many enticements come in the form of digital entertainment. And I'm going to be blunt. If you're a parent and you are not guarding the digital gate of your house, you're not doing your job. I'm just going to put it out there. If you're not the one who's saying, all right, this can come in, this stays out. You're not doing your job. You're making it harder for the children you love to love the Lord. You have a responsibility to be the gatekeeper of your home. If there's one parent, it's your job, and I'm sorry, there's more on you. If there's two parents, this should be done together. I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on you. I know some of you are counting on those screen times to distract your kids. 
so you can actually get some work done or not, or just rest for 30 minutes. All right, these are weird times. I understand that. I'm not here to lay a guilt trip. What I'm here to say is this. It's you who have to restrict the content. It's you who have to limit the apps. It's you who have to monitor the activity. And it's you who have to set time limits. Because if you don't do it, no one else is going to do it. And there's so much enticement. Those devices look beautiful. And they look sleek. And pardon my French, but they're filled with a world of crap. There is so much stuff just dying to come in. And you know who's doing it? People who want to profit from an unjust gain by exploiting you and exploiting your children. There are industries making millions of dollars off the terrible things that they want people to access on their phones. They won't get away with it. But as they lead you or your kids in the temptation, it won't be healthy. It won't be good. So parents, make it easier for your kids by doing the hard thing and saying, no, you can't have a phone yet because you're not ready for it. Yes, I can pick up your computer and go through your history anytime I want. It's not private property in our house. It's public property. And you can go through mine. It's not just for kids. I'm glad that I have restrictions on my phone. My browser stuff gets shared with a few other people. That's good. The less enticement, the better. Okay, the rant's over. Now, some of you are thinking, because this is a father to an older son. What if it's too late? What if they went with the gang? Is it too late for my kid? What if I, I tried to warn them and they went off? And they might be in deep. They might be really in bad situations. Is it too late? Is this proverb a lie? Is this a waste of my time? First of all, it's never a waste of time to tell your kids what not to do. It's never a waste of time to expose the false offers of temptation that they will deal with at every stage of their life. And the older they get until they're adults, in fact, the more important it becomes because the deeper the risks are. It's not too late, though. I want to offer two things for you parents who are really worried because your old kids, your grown kids, seem to have gone off with the friends. And one is this. Keep your hope in God, not your child. All right? Keep your hope in God and not your child. God is the father. He doesn't just warn the son. But remember the parable of the prodigal son. He waits at the house and he longs for the son to come to his senses, says the Bible, and realize, what am I doing eating pig? stuff and rolling around in the mud. I want to go to my father's house. And the father's waiting for him at the door and he runs out to meet him and he takes him in his arms and he, the son's got the speech ready, right? I'm not worthy to be called your son. True. I'm, I'll just take me in as your servant. And the father says, no, 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 no. My son was lost, but he's found again. He was dead, but now he's alive. Prepare the feast. Get the clothing. My son is back in my home. All right, I want you to just keep praying, Lord, send my kid back to the Father's house. Because that's number two, specific prayers. Last week, I introduced the idea of go west as a way to build relationships, the Lord to us, us to our kids. W, words of truth. They may have rejected them all. E, expressions of love. They may not want your love. T, time together. They don't want time with you. But S, powerless against specific prayers so you keep praying specific prayers and as Jamie shared last week 
I think she shared this. It gets real when you start saying out loud, even if you're just praying in a little, you know, one foot voice to yourself so you can hear it, the real things you're worried about. God is not interested in your pleasantries and your religious formality. It will stifle your prayer life. But you start praying with a desperate heart, specifically, concretely, and that's going to open up power in your prayer life because you're actually going to be communicating the real fears and needs, and the Father's going to hear them. All right. What about temptations that aren't that obvious, though? I'm going to move to the next section here. You know, you're going to have a lot of help when it comes to telling your kids not to kill people. You know, you won't be the only voice in their life saying, all right, don't kill people and steal their money. That's bad. It's also illegal. That helps. But there's plenty of temptations that aren't illegal. They're legal. And in fact, they're actually presented as good. Are you wise enough to actually describe and see the false offers of temptations that are culturally acceptable? I want to read Genesis 3, 1 to 6. We're going way back. Going back to the garden. And I want you to see how subtle it is. And as I read, I want you to listen for the false offer of the serpent. Do this. What's the second one? Get this. And what's the third promise? You won't get caught. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. All right, did you see the false offer? Do this. What's to do this? Eat of the tree which God has forbidden. Ironically, it's the tree of knowledge. Get this. What are you going to get? You're going to get wisdom to be like God, knowing good and evil. We won't get caught. You will not surely die. You know, it's rather profound that the original sin is about how to access knowledge. Isn't that, isn't that rather interesting? Proverbs is built on the foundation. Verse 7. Remember that verse last week? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs built on that, that foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The serpent twists it around and says, that tree is the beginning of knowledge. Eve sizes it up. She saw three things that were good. It was good to eat. It's good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It looked beautiful. And desire to make one wise. So I want you to see how subtle temptation is. Everything about it seems good, right? 
You can make a solid case for eating from that tree. It looks tasty, it's beautiful, and bonus, it makes you wise. The only thing stopping them is the word of God, that line in the sand. And what they need to do is fear the Lord their God. They need to have a right relationship with God that trusts Him. And it's the one thing they lack. And they say, no, no, no. I'm going to go with what I see here. I'm going to see that it's good for the food. I'm going with the sermon. I'm coming with us, right? The sermon says, come with me. And they're like, we're going with Him. And my point is that sometimes the only time you know something is wrong is just because the Bible says it is. That is the only thing you have to go on. It's enough. It's enough because the Bible is God's revelation from the ancient Jewish prophets to the apostles, especially in Jesus Christ. It's enough. It's not his revelation just to America, English speakers. It's his revelation to the world. And what he says here sometimes is the only thing you're going to have is the word of God. In fact, sometimes there will be very good objective arguments to go ahead and break and ignore that word. That's how subtle temptation can get. Sexual relationships are a great example today. The Bible has spoken clearly that sex is a gift for a married husband and wife. That's it. Our culture says, no, 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 that's all wrong. That's not all wrong, it's not bad there, right? That's fine. But... We've since learned more. Now you'll get published articles, right? In journals, academic journals. But we do know, right, that those academic journals are not allowed to cite the Bible as an authority. We know that research done at places like Harvard, MIT, psychology departments, PITCMU, you can't possibly refer to the scriptures in your research report. And so there's an atheistic subtext, a pressure. They're not even allowed to include God's word, right? This is not controversial, what I'm saying. People would be deeply offended if someone brought papers out of these departments and they were citing the Bible as an authority. So should it be any surprise that in cultures where a lot of the, the authorities and experts are writing in environments where they're forced to not go to God's scripture, even if they would believe it, they can't go to it, does it surprise us at all that they produce material that, ought, that at points directly contradicts God's word? It shouldn't surprise you at all. The only question is, what will you do with that? The arguments might seem that it is good, that it is beautiful, that it is wise. But if it contradicts God's word, then don't go there. You're going to feel a ton of pressure at times from our culture to give in at certain points where the Bible and our experts disagree. I just want to encourage you to learn the lesson from the garden. Proverbs 14.21 says it very well. There is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman. But its end is the way to death. I want to encourage you to hold fast to the word of God. And now the counteroffer. It begins with a warning in verse 18. Okay, the counteroffer of the gospel begins with the warning in verse 18. 
The father tells the son, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They're going to they're gonna be the ones who pay the price, he says. Verse 19 sums it all up. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. You know, our kids need to hear it. We need to hear it, right? No one ultimately gets away with evil. It may look like they do for a time, but they don't. The Lord sees it all. The great judge of the universe sees it all. Now the Father's counteroffer with the gospel begins with a no. It begins with a warning. But chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs are a unit, okay? So even though it seems to come to an end on verse 19 with the conclusion that unjust gain always takes away what? What does it take away? It takes away the life of its possessor. Not just the end of imprisonment, but he's talking, Proverbs always talking about life and death. Right? The stakes are as high as they can be. It starts with a no. Here's the warning. Don't go there. But then it goes on to this amazing yes. Paul wrote in Colossians 2 and 3 that, all, that in Jesus Christ, get this verse, in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You get that? In Jesus Christ are hidden, this is Colossians 2 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when we meet this figure called Lady Wisdom, who we're going to meet as we go through Proverbs, we're meeting Jesus Christ in veiled form because all the treasures of wisdom and in knowledge are found in Jesus. Now, the last passage I'm going to read today is what wisdom has to offer. Here's the counteroffer, verse 13, chapter 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. So first, right, the son was being tempted with money. We're going to fill our purses. And the father says, find wisdom and you'll find something better than silver, better than fast money, better than gold, better than the things that say, oh, you'll get this, you'll get this. What could be better than that? Well, look at verse 16. Long life is in her right hand. In Jesus' hand, he says, eternal life. That's how long the life is. In her left hand are riches and honor. Not talking about earthly money. He just said it's better than that. Lee is talking about with wisdom, you're seated with Christ on high. You're a son and daughter of the king. You're an heir to the kingdom. These are the riches and honor. Her ways, verse 17, are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. And then lastly, verse 18, look at how this goes back to the garden. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Adam and Eve were cut off from the tree of life. That was the death penalty for their sin. But Jesus Christ, through his own death on the cross, has opened up the gates of Eden. He's opened up the gates of Eden, which where it says in the Bible, for a while, guarded by an angel with a blazing sword. And through Jesus' death on the cross, he's opened up those gates. And you know what he says to you? And he says to me, he says, come with me. And once again, you can take from the tree of life. It's about life and death. 
Jesus offers life. How often do you remind yourself of the lavish, jaw-dropping, marvelous blessings? The counteroffer of the gospel is exceedingly high. And it makes the false offer of temptation look dirty and shameful and weak because it is. You got to preach that to your heart and let your kids hear those words. Words of truth taken time together. Never be embarrassed about the riches that are offered to us in Christ Jesus. They're lavishly presented to us. Lavishly present them and pass them on to everyone you meet. You're offering them when you offer Christ. You're offering life. You're offering wisdom. The fear of the Lord. A right relationship with God is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom always brings life. So I'm done. You're going to go. You're going to log off. Maybe you'll join us for the Zoom call or not. But I'm going to challenge you again to lavishly present the gospel to yourself first. You can't fake it. You either believe it or you don't. And then share it with your kids. Expose the false temptations. Warn them against them. But don't just say no. Say yes. This is where honor and riches dwell. Would you do that this week? If you've never done it before, and you guys can come on up, it's going to be uh, awkward at first. That's okay. Stay with it. New habits. You have to start them somewhere. Learn some parenting tips from Proverbs this week and put them to life in the life of your own heart and in the life of your family. All right. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close with um, 